Here's another edition of the Northwestern Medicine Pod Talk with Melanie Cole. Worldwide, up to 300 million people are living with viral hepatitis unaware. World Hepatitis Day takes place every year on July 28th, bringing the world together under a single theme to raise awareness of the global burden of viral hepatitis and to influence real change. Here to tell us about hepatitis and World Hepatitis Day is my guest, Dr. Stephen Flam. He's the medical director of the Liver Transplant Program at Northwestern Memorial Hospital. Welcome to the show, Dr. Flam. Let's start with a, a working definition. What is hepatitis for the listeners? Hi, Melanie. Hepatitis is a very common worldwide problem. And what hepatitis is, is uh, when any problem affects the liver and causes the liver to be inflamed, uh, and this this what hepatitis actually means. Hepa is a, uh, the short term for liver and itis is for inflammation. So anything that causes inflammation in the liver is called hepatitis. Now, what lay people often refer to when they talk about hepatitis is when a virus attacks the liver. That's an infectious hepatitis or viral hepatitis. And that's often really what hepatitis day is about. So hepatitis being a virus, are there different kinds? People have heard of hepatitis C or hepatitis A. Tell us a little bit about the different kinds. Yeah, there are five causes of hepatitis that where a virus primarily affects the liver. And they're all given a letter designation. It's A, B, C, D, and E. And the ones we see here in the United States for the most part are hepatitis A, hepatitis B, and hepatitis C. A lot of people think that they're very closely related to one another because we call them A, B, and C, but they're not. They're viruses. They're very, very different, and they cause very, very different clinical problems. Would someone know that they had hepatitis? Is it something that when you get your annual checkup gets screened for? Tell us how you would know. It's a great question. Hepatitis is very tricky. First of all, when you first get hepatitis, any of the different hepatitis agents, that's called acute hepatitis. And many people don't even know when they got hepatitis because the acute infection has no specific symptoms. Now, on occasion, people can be very sick when they get acute hepatitis from any of the different viruses, and then they get very profound fatigue, and they might get yellow eyes, which we call jaundice. But when people have acute hepatitis, they often don't know. Now, the big problem, though, with hepatitis, Melanie, is when they have chronic disease, which means they got hepatitis once in their life, and it didn't go away. And that happens with hepatitis B, and it happens with hepatitis C. And those two viruses, over the long term, if you have a chronic infection, can cause very great damage to the liver in the long run. And then at the end, and the end can be 30 or 40 or 50 years after you actually got the hepatitis, that's when you get sick. So many patients have no symptoms all along until the end when they get sick. And as you asked, do you, does this get detected on a routine physical? It doesn't get detected unless the doctor specifically looks for hepatitis with blood testing. And that's typically not done. And therefore, chronic viral hepatitis is often missed until the end 
when we get to a stage where we no longer can uh, help a patient. Well, before I even ask you about who should get screened, tell us how it's transmitted. Is it contagious? Is it considered partially a sexually transmitted infection? Tell us how, how you get it. That's a great question. Each of the viruses are transmitted that cause hepatitis. Each of the viruses that cause hepatitis are transmitted a little differently. Hepatitis A is one that is primarily acquired by eating food that's been contaminated with water that's not clean and has hepatitis in it. So, for instance, when people go to third world countries and eat food off of a food stand on the street where water has been used to clean, quote unquote, to the food, but it's dirty water, that's where an unsuspecting person can get hepatitis A. So that's how you get that one. In the United States, it's uh, mainly transmitted again by food that's not cleaned well or it's, got, it's brought in from another country and it's not cleaned well. Every once in a while, you'll hear about an outbreak from strawberries that came from South America, you know, or something like that, or a lettuce that wasn't, you know, that came from some other country. So we don't see a lot of outbreaks of hepatitis A here in the United States. Now, hepatitis B is primarily transmitted by sex, so it is, uh, it is transmissible. It is infectious. They're all infectious. They're all transmissible. Uh, hepatitis, a, uh, hepatitis B can also be transmitted by blood, where somebody's blood is transmitted from one person to the next. And that can happen, for instance, with people who share needles when they use drugs. And hepatitis B also is transmitted elsewhere in the world from mother to baby when a mother who has hepatitis B has a baby. So people from other parts of the world where hepatitis B is common can get hepatitis B transmitted that way. And then those people come here and we diagnose them. So that's how you get hepatitis B. Now, hepatitis C, which we hear a lot about, uh, in the lay press and on the media, in the media and television with ads and things like that, hepatitis C is primarily transmitted by contaminated blood. So any patient that has a history of intravenous drug use, even 30 or 40 years ago, or patients that received contaminated blood products before 1990 are at increased risk to have hepatitis C. Only rarely is hepatitis C sexually transmitted. When it is, it's primarily transmitted by, uh, by anal receptive intercourse. So, for instance, men who have sex with men, they're at increased risk to have hepatitis C. So the three viruses we see here are all transmitted a little bit differently. Then who should get screened? I mean, should people ask their doctor? We heard for a little while that baby boomers should get tested for hepatitis C to find out, should we be asking our doctors, should we get screened? That's a great question. And the answer is yes, certain people need to be screened. And it's a little bit different. So for hepatitis A, first of all, that disease is never chronic. You can get acute hepatitis, again, if you eat contaminated food outside of the country, but you never have chronic disease, and therefore you never get chronic damage. So people aren't screened for that one. Hepatitis B, if you know patients have a risk factor for hepatitis B, 
then you should be screened for that. For instance, anybody that was born in a, a country that hepatitis B is very common, they should be screened for hepatitis B. Anybody whose parents have chronic hepatitis B, they should be screened for hepatitis B. Anybody that has a risk factor that I just mentioned for transmission, they used intravenous drugs in the past, or they've had anal receptive intercourse, those are patients that should be screened for hepatitis B. So those are the recommendations for B. For hepatitis C, uh, uh, several years ago, the Centers for Disease Control made new screening recommendations for that. And the main screening recommendation is that anybody born between years 1945 and 1965, the so-called baby boomers, should have a one-time screening test for hepatitis C. It turns out that the vast majority of people in this country today, in the United States, that have hepatitis C were born between 1945 and 1965. So yes, uh, if you're born in that age group, you should request from your primary care physician or health provi healthcare provider to be tested for hepatitis C. A lot of doctors are not yet adhering to that recommendation because they're either unaware of it or they're uh, forgetting, I guess. But it is a very good idea to be tested for hepatitis C if you were born in that age group. And furthermore, if anybody else has a risk factor for transmission of hepatitis C also, and they weren't born in that age, in that time period, they also should be tested. So anybody that has a history of intravenous drug use or anybody that got a blood transfusion of any kind before 1990, you are at risk for hepatitis C and should also be screened. So what about vaccinations and or prevention? Do you have some advice on that? Are we vaccinating our babies against these forms at any point in the vaccination schedule? That's also a great question, Melanie, vaccinations. There are vaccinations available for hepatitis A and hepatitis B. And in fact, uh, the, such vaccinations are routinely given here in the United States, and they have been for probably around 25 years. So it's very rare nowadays to see any hepatitis A or B in anybody under the age of 25 in the United States. Furthermore, hepatitis B is also checked routinely in all pregnant women in the United States. Because I mentioned to you earlier, one of the risk factors for transmission of hepatitis B is from mother to baby when the baby is born, if the mother has hepatitis B. And one of the ways to prevent that is to identify hepatitis B in the mother and vaccinate the baby if the mother has hepatitis B right at the time of childbirth and also give babies a product called hepatitis B immune globulin. And if you do that for a baby who is born to a mother with, from a mother with hepatitis B, the baby uh, almost never will get hepatitis B. So we have good strategies with vaccination for prevention of hepatitis A and B now. As far as hepatitis C goes, there are no vaccinations for hepatitis C. The only way to prevent hepatitis C is to prevent the risk factors for transmission. For instance, 
if, if people are using intravenous drugs, only to get the needles from needle exchange programs, not to use a needle that was ever used by somebody else. Uh, for instance, if you're having sex, to have protected sexual intercourse. Uh, those are ways to protect from getting hepatitis C. There are no vaccinations for that one. What about treatments, Dr. Flam? If someone is detected to have this, are there treatments available? Is it something that's a watch-and-wait situation? Tell us a little bit about what you do for patients that are tested positive. That also is a great question, Melanie. There are treatments for hepatitis B and hepatitis C. Again, hepatitis A, when you get it, is an acute infection, and it always goes away. So we don't have to treat hepatitis A. Hepatitis B, when it's chronic, we do have very, very excellent medications. Uh, You have to take the medications, though, indefinitely. Hepatitis B is one of those viruses when you have it over the long term that you can suppress with medications beautifully. And the patient does extremely well from a clinical standpoint. Their liver doesn't get worse, but it's not curable. And you have to remain on the medications generally for very long periods of time. Hepatitis C, on the other hand, is curable. And it's one of the reasons it's so important to identify hepatitis C in patients is because we now, over the last several years, have medications available that within a two- or three-month period cure about 99% of patients with hepatitis C. And we can therefore prevent the development of advanced liver disease in those patients if we identify it and then treat it appropriately. And keep in mind, I mentioned to you earlier, hepatitis B and C over the long term are very frequently asymptomatic, meaning no symptoms. So while damage is ongoing in the liver, slowly but surely, it's not easy to pick up unless a patient is screened and it's identified. And then we do have medical therapies for both that can ameliorate the problem and uh, make the chance of getting worsened liver disease almost, uh, it's vanishingly rare. What an amazing explanation, Dr. Flam. Wow. Tell us a little bit about World Hepatitis Day and how is Northwestern taking the lead in getting people tested? World, you know, I didn't mention to you, Melanie, hepatitis B around the world is very, very common. And there are estimates that out of the 7 billion people in the world, more than 300 million have chronic hepatitis B. In the United States, it's probably about 1 to 1.5 million. Hepatitis C, on the other hand, around the world, people think somewhere between 100 and 170 million people have hepatitis C. In the United States, it's about 3 to 4 million So around the world, hepatitis B is a little more common than C, but in the United States, C is a little more common than B. Nevertheless, around the world, we think chronic viral hepatitis, which over the years can kill people from chronic liver disease, affects more than one half a billion people. So around the world, this is a massive, massive problem. 
And here in the United States also, where we think more than 5 million people have one or the other of the viruses. And that's why World Hepatitis Day evolved. World Hepatitis Day was meant to draw attention around the world to the presence of viral hepatitis. This is thought to be a silent killer because it's present for decades in people without symptoms, and yet it is causing very bad damage to the liver, which in the end can kill patients before their time. So World Hepatitis Day is meant to draw attention to chronic viral hepatitis, to draw attention to screening strategies to identify patients that have chronic viral hepatitis, even when they have no symptoms, and then to draw attention to the fact that we have therapies now for these chronic viral hepatitis diseases that can dramatically improve a patient's long-term survival. Wow, those are incredible statistics, Dr. Flam. They're they're really kind of amazing that there's so many people affected by hepatitis. So just wrap it up for us. What would you like the listeners to know about hepatitis and about how Northwestern medicine has really taken the lead and is leading the charge for advancements in testing and treatment? Well, Northwestern has always attended to the presence of chronic viral hepatitis, and we have one of the largest liver programs here in the nation. We have 10 full-time hepatologists or liver doctors here at Northwestern. Uh, We have taken the lead in trying to promote screening strategies in the state of Illinois. We have taken the lead in doing clinical research studies on these new and innovative therapies for chronic viral hepatitis. And we are one of the leading liver transplantation centers for patients that have already evolved into very end-stage liver disease and where medical therapy for now is no longer a possibility. So we at Northwestern will continue to promote strategies to identify patients with hepatitis C. And I want the listeners to keep in mind, Melanie, that even though you have no symptoms with viral hepatitis, damage is being done to the liver over the long term. We cannot wait until symptoms develop until we attend to this, until we follow up and receive therapy. You have to receive therapy for this before symptoms develop, which is when you can intercede and improve the long-term outcomes. What an amazing segment, Dr. Flam. Thank you so much for sharing your expertise on this topic and clearing it up for us on the impact and effects of hepatitis and, and really who should be discussing with their doctor about getting screened. It's just amazing and wonderful information. Thank you so much. You're listening to Northwestern Medicine Pod Talk. For more information on the latest advances in medicine, please visit nm.org. That's nm.org. This is Melanie Cole. Thanks so much for listening.